So we're in Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. The Pharisee and the tax collector. The parables of Jesus are uncomfortable and they're very hard-hitting. They, as I've been looking at this, they force, it certainly forced me to acknowledge and, in a sense, confront the reality about myself, the shocking truth about me. It really is a reality checkpoint when we look at parables, and we've been looking at them in the last few weeks here. And I think it takes a great deal of courage to read a parable and to face up to what it's saying, to take on board the truth that God is showing to us, not to put us down, but because he loves us. And that the people who love you most tell it to you straight in love the best, don't they? It's because he loves us. And the challenge really is this, the challenge this morning, am I up to it? The challenge is, have I got the courage to listen, to really listen, and to take to heart what God is saying about himself and about me? Or will I switch off when the going gets a bit near the knuckle? Please uh, try to resist that. And also, actually what we can do, we can thank him for doing it. Thank him that he shows reality. There's another danger about a parable, especially this parable. It's so well known. You know this. I think nearly everybody here has read this. It's not new. And the danger is, because we live in a different time to when this was first taught by Jesus, that we can lose the impact. Or think it's, oh yeah, have you ever that in church? You think you listen to a great sermon, you think that's just right for old Fred. Well, it's just right for you, but we deflect that. Don't deflect the truth is parable, especially if your name's Fred. And parables are very, very positive. And the question, can you face this? The question Jesus says to us as we look at this parable now is this. Which person of the two people, which person in this parable, honestly, Chris, are you most like? Which one most clearly and accurately describes a lot of you a lot of the time? So let's interest ourselves. We're introduced to two characters, aren't we? First up is the Pharisee. The Pharisee. Now, just to get this right, at the time when Jesus was, was giving this teaching, the Pharisees were highly regarded. They were looked up to, Why? Because they were morally upright. They were the guardians of the nation's life. They were the guardians of its very identity to stop Judaism and God's people being overwhelmed by a hostile pagan culture. They devoted themselves to the Word of God. They loved the Word of God. They taught the Word of God. They kept the standards privately and publicly that flowed from what God was saying They were zealous for him. They were zealous for Israel. They were experts in the scriptures. They taught it fearlessly. They were not shallow compromisers. They had the courage to stand out for God's truth in a pluralistic society. They were God's people. There was much to be admired by them and they were admired. They were looked up to. It's difficult now, following actually Jesus' teaching, to see that. But they were looked up to. They were very much looked up to. 
You see, the Pharisees, but the thing with them, they thought all their works, all this study of scripture, all this rigorous religious performance, all this dedication, they thought that would commend them to God and they were candidates for eternal life. Not only did they believe it, but everybody else believed it. Now, of course, in our time, since Jesus, in a sense, told the truth about them to themselves and to us, you see, we don't see these Pharisees like that. But we need to see them, see the power of this parable. Now, to us, they're the pantomime villains now, the Pharisees. You, you know, I mean, I read them, and Jesus talked, and, and along came the Pharisees, and automatically, if you're in a pantomime, you start booing, don't you? That's how we see them. But they weren't seen then. They were the religious hardliners, if you like. Actually, most of the people that were not Christians who I live with in our street or who I move around, when they look at us in our churches, you know, they see us as the Pharisees. That is quite a shocking truth, isn't it? They see us, mainstream members of Christ Church Forward, of St Peter's Church Herald. They see us as Pharisees. They see us as narrow and bigoted and uncaring and strict. How does Jesus describe the Pharisees? How does Jesus see them? And the scene is the temple. That's where we are. We're in the temple. Now the temple, it's important that we're in the temple because the temple is the heart of Jewish religion. And it's prayer time. It's prayer time in the temple. It's this sublime moment when, in a sense, when you, you help yourself to a deep personal relationship to the living God in prayer. Isn't it wonderful when David led us in prayer? That's when you come closest to the living God in that deep intimacy that only he can bring. That's what's happening now in the temple. And are you ready for the first shock of this parable? Look at verse 11. In this deep personal time of relationship with the living God, verse 11, the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. Or one of the other versions says, to himself. It's amazing, isn't it? He's praying to himself, not God. And when I read that, I thought, isn't he a bad bloke? Then Jesus whispered in my ear, Chris, I think you do that sometimes, you know. I said, do I really? He said, yeah, I think you do. I said, how do you mean I do? He said, well, if you have a look at your prayer life, a lot of it is all about you. It's all about you and your problems and your joys and your desires and, and your requests. It's sometimes, because, you know, it's a bit like a celestial shopping list. It's if you shipped up at some heavenly Tesco's and I'm the checkout person. You know, you may decry health and wealth gospel, Chris. I've, I've been listening to your prayer. It's one thing, you know that, I do listen. There's a bit too much health and wealth in there for my liking and your good. You see, parables make us be honest. God makes us be honest because he loves us. Do you pray like a Pharisee? Since reading this, I know more certainly than I do. But let's listen and, and, and move on then now this Pharisee prays. Can you still with me? The next bit he says this, look. Look at this, verse 11, the second half of this. God, 
I thank you that I'm not like all other men. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers. Or even like this tax collector. Now you notice in this prayer, he addresses God as God. But there's no relationship. He says, he doesn't say, my God. He, he recognises the, sort of the deity. But tragically, there's no evidence of relationship. You see, it's all religion. Is that how you pray to God? Full-time members of Christchurch Forward or visitors today? Is that how we pray to the, to the living God? And he used the right words. God, I thank you. You think, oh right, he's on a good, I thanks, good, thanks, he's a good part of prayer, isn't it? I thank you, and he gives thanks to God, but not who God is. Nothing positive about God at all. And what God has done, but only for what uh, he is. I thank you that I am not like all other men. Not only for what he is, but negatively set against other people. His prayer is putting people down. Have you ever done that in prayer? He denigrates others who he believes because of his um, moral superiority. They are repugnant to him. They are inferior to him. He doesn't see them as God sees them, as sees us, created, handmade by a loving God who most of us need read rescue from the desert island. No, he's putting him down. And when I read this, I said, Lord, am I like that? He said, well, funny you should say that, Chris. Funny you should say that. We're a bit more subtle than that. But sometimes our prayer is a, well, my prayer is a bit self-satisfaction, a bit smug, a bit morally superior. Looking down on others? Well, if you don't think that's true, do you know the biggest accusation for people who are not yet Christians about us is we're just like that. That we're smug, we're morally superior and we look down on others and that we're hypocrites. You still with us? Let's listen more to this Pharisee of prayer. Verse 12. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. You see, this man is super religious, isn't he? You see, the Jews were commended to fast once by, in Leviticus, if you look it up, 26, 29, once a year on the Day of Atonement, that fantastic day when the high priest goes into the very presence of the living God. They, they were, were called to fast that day to show that they are serious with God. But this chap does it every three days. He's really into it. And, it's, and again, you can see the self-satisfaction. He doesn't do it for God's benefit, he does it for his own, doesn't he? You know, the self-satisfaction. I fast twice a week. And then he goes for the real religious brownie points. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. How's your giving going? Or is it just going? Some great Christian I heard years ago said, when it comes to giving, some Christians will stop at nothing. 
You see, the law didn't say you had to do that. There was no law saying you had to do that. But boy, he wants to clock up the brownie points in heaven or somewhere. This boy is so righteous, it hurts, doesn't it? But you see, it's all me-centred. Do you notice this? This prayer is all me-centred. It's not God-centred at all. Verse 11, I thank you. I am not like the others. Verse 12, I fast. I give a tenth. You see, he's the great I am, the Pharisee. And again, reality checkpoint. Chris, do you think you're like that? Is there anything like that about you? Bit of religious me-centred in prayer? And wanting other people to know it? You know, have you ever... It can't just be me. Have you ever sort of subtly bragged in prayer about how religious you are? Or, or told other people, you know, about the, you, that you're regular at the prayer time. You know, you're regular at both services at forward in the morning and the evening and anything else they sort of toss in. You know, have you ever been sort of proud of the fact you go on, on, on camps and house parties and you're a cook, the lowest of the low, the people who get treated rough and we work from seven till midnight every night. And I've done it year in, year out. You see, the Pharisee is the great pretender. That's one of my favourites. Oh yes, I'm the great pretender. He's been singing this all the time in that temple. But you see, it's all outward show. It's all religion. And I do please have the courage to say, it can't just be me that thinks this is pointing to me. You see, it's so external, this religion. Do you know, as I was reading this, this really shocked me. This Pharisee actually doesn't need God at all. He hasn't come into the temple to speak to God at all. He's come into the temple to congratulate himself on how holy he is. How have you come to forward this morning? Have you come to meet the living God? Or have you come to do your religion? What do you think God's view of that is? Jesus' view of that? Look at verse 14b. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Or to quote that great theologian, Shania Twain. <laughs> that don't impress me much. <laughs> How does Jesus describe the Pharisee? Verse 9. Just says it all, doesn't it? To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else. You see, own righteousness. DIY is a national obsession in this country, isn't it? I was reading the other day, we spend £15 billion a year on DIY. It creeps in everywhere. I don't. If my wife comes whining to me, she did the other day, the, uh, the light in the bathroom hadn't worked for a fortnight, I'd been shaving in the dark. <laughs> that hadn't impressed her much either. And she said to me, she said, Chris, it's not working. 
Now, I'm the great DIY man, so I said, OK, Eileen, do it yourself, kid. And you know what? She did. I was amazed. But, the, I mean, I wish I was better at DIY in those things. But DIY religion is absolutely deadly. And I do some of that. In fact, when I started looking at this parable, I'm quite good at it. I'll do more of that than I thought I did till I looked at this. You see? And Jesus says, Chris, son, get real. Get real with me about you. You see, in the parables, this is where where rubber hits the road for us. In the parables, Jesus, in a sense, he holds out a mirror to us. And when we read it, it gives us an opportunity to see ourselves as we really are. A lot of the time we don't want to do that, because it's not pretty. But it gives us an opportunity to see ourselves as we really are. And there are two responses then. The first one is, you cannot bear that reality, so you smash the mirror. That happened on the cross. And we do that, even as Christians, I think. Or the other thing is say, is gratitude. Thank you that you've levelled with me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've shown me what's so much in my face I couldn't see it. Thank you for showing that to me. Please forgive me. Thank you. Now, which reaction are you having to what Jesus says today? What Jesus perhaps has been saying to us all week in, in summer experience? We've smashed the mirror very gently, but as we walk away, we just give it a little tap and it shatters. But we do it. Let's have a look at the other character then. Step up the tax collector. Verse 13. Now, the tax collectors were low life. They were despised, they had no rights, people spat on them in the streets. People actually would curse the very ground they walked on. They were traitors to the nation because they were in pay, in the pay of the hated Romans. Theirs was an extortion racket. They were corrupt and they got rich at other people's expense because the Romans were no fools. They had this tax farming system. So they would say, right, this part of forward, the tax revenue for this part of forward is you know, 500 denarii. And the, the tax collector said, right, I'll do that for you, sir. But of course, he's got to make a living, so the very system means he overcharges you. It's, it's inherent in the system. And that's uh, the modern equivalent of this chap. Well, in the credit crunch, the, model, the modern equivalent is a loan shark. A loan shark. The real pantomime villain. I read about a loan shark in the paper the other day. Someone borrowed £500 and over, over the coming five years they paid back 10000 and still couldn't meet the debt. These folks were richly unclean. He shouldn't have been in the, in the temple in the first place. They didn't belong with good people. They didn't. They were about as much welcome as a pork chop at a bar mitzvah. And the thing is, the tax collector knows it. Look at verse 13. 
But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. But beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He even stood at a distance. So he wasn't allowed to be. He was separate. How does God describe this uh, tax collector in this parable? Well, he stood at a distance. He was humble. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He had a deep humility. He beat his breast, because that's where the problem lay, in his heart, and he knew it. It's a sign of deep mourning amongst the Jews, that, and deep repentance and distress at who they are. And he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Wow! You ever heard a loan shark talk like that? Talk about telling it how it is. Talk about getting real about myself before the living God. You see, and he does talk to God, doesn't he? He has a conversation, an honest conversation. He doesn't brag about his own virtue. He doesn't parade his goodness because he hasn't got any. It's like pretense with him. He correctly describes himself, me, a sinner. For 22 years, I would not say that. I knew it was true, but I wouldn't get real about me. I'm not a sinner. Can you get real about yourself before the living God? I'm not a sinner. I'm as good as the next man. In fact, I'm better than the next man. Especially the next man's Chris Knowles. No. And he asked God to forgive him. In, in what we've been hearing about in, in, in front experiences, one is the, the younger son makes this most difficult of all journeys in that parable in Luke 15. And it's really got to me. He makes this journey from give me to forgive me. Have you made that journey? How far are you along that journey? This tax collector has gone all the way. He knows what his greatest need is to be forgiven by God. To have sins forgiven. And that's no cheap forgiveness because for God to forgive his sins and mine and anybody here, to forgive our going our own way, God came in the person of Jesus and died on the cross for that. So what's, what's Jesus, what's God's response to these two men? Let's have a look at the tax collector, verse 14. I'll tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. You see, God heard his prayer because it was real, it was from the heart, it was to God. And he went home justified. That was, he was put right before God. He was accepted. He belonged now as a son not a despised tax collector. He was declared right by God by accepting God's forgiveness rather than trying to earn his own forgiveness, if you like. The Pharisee? I'll tell you, this man, verse 14, rather than the other went home justified, for everyone who exhorts himself will be humbled. You hear the Pharisee? You see, God didn't hear his prayer because he actually wasn't talking to God at all. It was all about self. He went home self-satisfied. He was still right before himself. 
But critically, and this is the shock of this, he was a stranger to God. Because he hadn't come to the temple to meet God at all. But just to boast on how religious he was. The sting is in the tail, isn't it? For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, God turns conventional wisdom, or someone said upside down. No, he doesn't. He turns it the right way up. I couldn't make sense of the world, so Jesus turned the world the right way up for me, and me the right way up. You can't really make sense of the world when you're standing on your head, can you? The big warning for us here, whether we're regular at Forward, regular at St Peter's, there is too much Pharisee in us for our own good and most of the time I don't see it in me. And so I thank God for this today. I would not, if I hadn't been asked to come here, I wouldn't have read that. And I thank God for that. Thank Jesus for pointing it out. And help us to be like, not the Pharisee, who everyone admired, but the tax collector who was humble and honest before God. Just a few points in conclusion then, and these are really hard. Thank you for sticking with us so far here. How hungry are you for God to know him deeper and deeper or are you still parading your religion? It's me as well. How desperate are we for his grace and mercy or am I still parading my religion? Why have we come to church at all today? Is it just to enjoy what's going on and that's great, but you do that in a cinema or a theatre. Or to meet other people, that's great, but you can do that in a pub. But have we come to meet with the living God, to worship, talk with him, rest in him, ask him to forgiveness, be with his family, learn from him? Am I majoring on religion but neglecting the relationship. Do I know the difference? Because I didn't know the difference. I thought all Christianity was a religion. It's not at all. It's a relationship with the living God. How far am I confident of my own righteousness to get me to heaven? This is a really heavy, important question. Because the sad truth is, according to Jesus, it won't. It won't. No matter how good you are. You know, am I in danger of living as if being right before God was all about religious performance? Really being right before God is to ask him to forgive me and have mercy upon him, upon me. To realise, this is so hard, to realise that I'm actually spiritually bankrupt. Even if I've been coming forward for 30 years, of myself, I am spiritually bankrupt. I, have, I cannot pay my way into heaven. I can't buy the ticket. Only Jesus could pay the price for us to get to heaven. Have we trusted him for that? Or are we still a bit blind about our standing before God as the Pharisee was? And I'm not gratuitously having a pop at anybody. I really aren't, but this is what Scripture is saying to us. And if there's too much of the Pharisee in me, learn from the tax collector and throw ourselves on God's mercy and get real with him. 
You see, it's not too late. What is God's response? Look at verse 14. I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's wonderful, isn't it, God's response? He doesn't, he doesn't disregard us. But the only way up is down. And the amazing reality that I found, even last night when I was looking at this, the good news is this, that Pharisees can become tax collectors. Let's pray. Father, thank you for talking to us today. Thank you that uh, you help us to see how we really are, not to put us down and make us feel bad, but so we can be lifted up. And if we're Christians, that we can be encouraged for a greater service which needs the, the, the openness and honesty and humility we see in the tax collector. And if we're not sure whether we're there yet, Lord, help us to see that we can't get there on our own. It's futile to try and help us to learn like the tax collector. To be humble enough, to be courageous enough to throw ourselves on your mercy. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen.